Welcome back, everybody, to the David Pakman Show. Luke Beasley here, filling in for David while he is away. I know many of you get sad when David's gone. Totally understand that, but stick around because I'm going to make it worth your while. I can guarantee that starting off with this, President Biden very nicely and uh, brilliantly, you could say, called out Lauren Boebert, mocked Lauren Boebert for one of the subjects I love to see Republicans called out on the most, which is when a Democrat can identify a Republican taking credit for or no longer opposing something legislative action-wise, Democratic agenda-wise, that they very aggressively opposed when it was actually time to implement that policy. So in this case, Biden's recognizing that now Lauren Boebert is pretty okay with some benefits her district is getting because of Democratic agenda items that she fought against. And then we'll get to him calling out someone else as well. So here's this from a recent Bidenomic speech in New Mexico. What Arcosa is doing here is part of a much broader clean energy manufacturing. It's going to happen in big cities and rural communities as well. Like in Colorado, where CS Wind broke ground on what will be the world's largest wind tower manufacturing plant. And coincidentally, CS Wind is Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. You know that very quiet... Republican lady. It's in her district who, along with every other Republican, voted against this bill. And it's making all this possible. And she railed against its passage. But that's okay. She's welcoming it now. When I ran for office, I promised to be president for all Americans. Whether you live in a blue state or a red state, I'm going to keep my promise. Before we made this... I think that's the way to do it. Recognize that, hey, Republicans in Lauren Boebert's district, this project and these uh, or this funding is going to benefit you and your district and know that the person representing you would have had it a very different way if she got her way and didn't want this funding, this project to be made possible in your district. But I'm not punishing voters who didn't vote for me, and I'm not only trying to benefit voters who voted for me. I'm going to try to benefit all uh, Americans' lives. I think that's a very uh, good message that a lot of people can resonate with for sure. And then before discussing further, he also made a similar point about Tommy Tuberville. Already, we're saving nearly 170,000 New Mexico families $30 a month on their internet bills so far. We're making investments like this all across the country. If I could pause for another second, there's a, a, a distinguished senator from the state of Alabama um, who used to be a pretty good football coach. And uh, he's railed against this legislation. And then I noticed he had a big announcement. Alabama's going to get a billion, $200 million for internet. And I thought, wait a minute. Didn't he rail against that for a long, long time? I was inclined to go down and help him celebrate, but I decided not to. <laughs> Look. In one way, it's funny and a little jab you can make, but in another, it's so aggravating because anytime you point out these different either individual projects or just concepts of governing, such as progressive programs like Medicare, Social Security, that you know the conservative ideology both fought against and would fight against if this debate was coming up today, knowing that all of these things wouldn't be possible if the conservative ideology and whatever party it was manifesting at that point in time got its way is really aggravating and should be aggressively called out. And so sometimes I think it's funny doing it in a sort of humorous way. And then sometimes maybe you get a little bit more serious. And if you pull up, I've done this before on uh, my show. You can find that, of course, at Luke Beasley on YouTube. Just looking at the various projects and you can uh, go find this yourself. Super interesting interactive map that I'm pulling up on screen. We'll describe for the podcast listeners where you can see where this different funding is going towards in the bipartisan infrastructure law that Democrats uh, pushed for and Biden led on and just dive into the specifics of all these different projects that will benefit all different regions of the country. And these things matter. And I think when you recognize uh, the way that Republicans kind of once these things start being implemented 
or once these programs are popular, such as Medicare and Social Security, then want to absolutely be seen as on board and a part of the solution. That proves that obviously it's good policy. And all of the accusations of Biden's going to be this socialist, he's going to make America bankrupt with crazy projects that have been paid for. uh, It's all just nonsense. It's all political. It's not actually a thoughtful critique of the policy because, again, I think Pete Buttigieg, I covered in the past, said something to the effect of the sign of a good policy is those who opposed it then want to take credit for it, which is definitely what we see. Then one more just funny moment where he takes a jab at Trump. Be like, what the hell's a wind tower? That's a key component. You know, you have to have it to hold up those. But you know how long, by the way, I was in eastern Colorado looking at the blades manufacturer. Those blades are 103 yards long, longer than a football field. And by the way, they don't cause cancer. And of course, referencing his predecessor, Donald Trump's claim to that effect, rather absurd. I do think our previous conversation about Republicans taking credit for Democratic policies is a reminder of the fact that you really should press for specifics when someone says the Biden administration has been a complete disaster and all of his policies are creating mayhem and it's terrible. Not because there aren't fair criticisms of the Biden administration. There are. I think most of them, though, come from the progressive direction. But because often the people making that accusation the most boldly don't actually have the details to back it up because a lot of these policies are just really good, especially Biden's landmark achievements. And the list I'll go through whenever I hear something like that with people is the American Rescue Plan. Let's just go through this. American Rescue Plan, is that the thing you have a big issue with? Trillions of dollars of relief when relief was needed after the economic downturn that the pandemic caused. Millions of jobs created based on an independent analysis because of that legislation. First major gun safety bill in decades, pulling out of America's longest war. Largest investment in green energy in history. Millions of green energy jobs will be created in the future because of that. Lowering prescription drug costs, including Medicare, being able to negotiate drug prices and capping the cost of insulin at out of pocket per month for Medicare recipients. Republicans blocked that being applied to all Americans, raising the minimum wage for federal government workers. Katanji Brown-Jackson on the court. Many conservatives do have an issue with that. All of them. Uh, PACT Act, healthcare to veteran toxic burn pit victims. The Chips and Science Act, bringing more semiconductor manufacturing to America. Once in generation infrastructure law, rebuilding roads and bridges, increasing access to clean, reliable drinking water, repairing airports, expanding broadband, investing in passenger rail. Are those all the things that prove Biden has been a complete disaster and is destroying America? That doesn't make much sense, right? And that's why I think getting into a conversation about the uh, the specifics of the policies, not just vaguely Biden's terrible, is important. Again, not because there aren't criticisms, but because these policies, a lot of people aren't as comfortable saying, yeah, all that's terrible uh, when you really go through it. Or even his economic record, they'll say he's run the economy to the ground. But considering the context he took over within the economic downturn that the pandemic had caused and the pandemic that Trump had mishandled. And now we're all the way back down to historic low unemployment, 50 year low getting hit while Biden's president when it comes to unemployment inflation down to 3% after it's spiking because of that economic reality and the response to it and dropping lower than other G7 countries on inflation in the United States, real wages increasing 2.4% GDP growth. These are good metrics, especially when you consider the reality that Biden took over within. And so that's why if you really push for details, some of these arguments hold a whole lot less water. Super interesting. A retired federal judge, Michael Luddick, who is known to be a conservative, is speaking out against Donald Trump and calling him out for the threat to democracy that he is. And I want to take this segment as an opportunity to walk through and look at a number of examples of conservatives, either calling out Trump or debunking some of the talking points that people are dishonestly using to defend Donald Trump uh, amid his third indictment. So first, here's Michael Luddig calling Trump out as a threat to democracy. People to remember, uh, Ms. Sartre, you're, you're a Democrat. Judge Ludig, you're a Republican, and you're working together on this. This is very bipartisan. Judge Ludig, we will all remember when you testified before the January 6th commission and you called Donald Trump, quote, a clear and present danger to American democracy. He is now three times indicted, potentially four. He is by far the Republican frontrunner. Do you think he is still a clear and present danger to American democracy? I, I do, Poppy, uh, uh, more so today than he was uh, 
uh, last summer when I testified before the Congress of the United States for these obvious reasons. The former president has uh, continued to insist and persist in his false claim that uh, he had won the 2020 presidential election and that it was stolen from him. And his Republican allies and the Republican Party have joined him uh, in that persistent claim to this day. So for the two and a half years since January. And he continues, but we'll stop it there for the sake of time. He goes on to say that the, as he calls it, there being no Republican Party, but kind of the current state of the Republican Party is what is putting our democracy, quote, in grave peril. Meaning that, yes, it's so dangerous that Trump tells these lies and did the things that he did based on the lies he was telling. And also, it is especially dangerous that the Republican Party doesn't push back. That now a massive portion of the party is just in lockstep with Donald Trump and at least, if not endorsing his lies, not condemning them as should be done. And so because of that, Trump's strength within the GOP continues to be what it is, which is incredibly dangerous when you have a side of our political process being convinced into believing that the only way an election can be fair is if their side wins. And the actions that that justifies, as we're seeing laid out in the third indictment of Donald Trump, are horribly detrimental. And if Trump was successful, he would have overthrown a democratic process and blocked the lawful governmental process from proceeding. Luckily, he wasn't eventually successful, but it could change in the future. And that's why accountability, even legally, is so important. Then we get to Ty Cobb, who gets asked about this free speech defense of Donald Trump amid his third indictment. And uh, this is Trump's former lawyer saying, no, that doesn't make any sense. Um, he asked in an aspirational way. He went on to say, asking is not speech. It's not action. That's the heart of this, right? Speech versus action. Does that defense fly here? Not at all. Uh, I'm, I'm not aware of the aspirational defense um, <laughs> or the free speech uh, defense to uh, <laughs> to a gang leader saying to two of his uh, subordinates, I need you two to please rob a bank for me, and they do it. Um, you know, that's that's aspirational, uh, but it leads to a crime. Uh, and that's exactly what Trump did, uh, did with Pence. So in every way, that defense is ridiculous. If you haven't heard it uh, lately, people defending Trump will say that he's being indicted for questioning the election or for claiming it was stolen or whatever it might be when that's just not the case at all in the indictment explicitly it says that's not what trump's being indicted for he had the right to even lie about the election of course and he had the right to legally challenge the results it is the potentially unlawful actions that were taken that are at issue here and so then on one end it's the actions that are on the table that are at issue and the coordinated possible legal conspiracy, illegal conspiracy, that was an effort to disenfranchise voters, overthrow a democratic process, block a lawful proceeding from going forward. And that is the center of this indictment. And also, if you're pointing to the instances in the indictment where he's using his speech to potentially direct people to take unlawful actions, yes, that's also something you can do. You can direct illegal actions and thus be yourself breaking the law with your speech. But it's not just him claiming the election was stolen that is the problem here. And then finally, Alberto R. Gonzalez, who was the attorney general under President George W. Bush, wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post titled, No, Fellow Republicans, the Justice Department is not biased against us. Last week, I watched a former president of the United States for the first time in history be arraigned in federal court for attempting to obstruct official proceedings and overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. I found myself less troubled by the actions of former President Donald Trump than by the response of a, a significant swath of the American people to Trump's deepening legal woes. I'm among a number of jurists with experience at the highest levels of our government who grow more concerned as support for Trump mounts in direct proportion to the number of indictments against him. Sadly, this has led on the right to a growing distrust of and rage against the Justice Department. And then he goes on to say, I can understand the skepticism, but based on the known facts in each case, I do not share it and walk through a lot of the reasons as David has and I have in the past 
why these claims are not valid and the specifics of the case would not lead one if they were honestly analyzing them to believe that there's this two-tier justice system and Trump's being targeted and all of it. And the job of the DOJ is to follow the facts. And yes, the facts as they followed them have led to a Republican being the one that is being focused on, but not because he's a Republican or because he's Trump, but because of what he potentially did that was unlawful. And so it's really important, even though individuals like the ones we just walked through with legal knowledge and a history of being within the GOP, or at least conservative, probably won't sway MAGA. It's still important that they speak out to try to move as many people as possible to understand this isn't some liberal attempt to take Trump down, but instead an example of Trump being held accountable for his possible violations of the law, which is what we should all, no matter our political persuasion, want the DOJ to do. Quick break, back after this. To the cannabis fans in the audience, did you know that you can have federally legal psychoactive THC shipped to your door anywhere in the United States legally? Our longtime sponsor, Ounce of Hope, is offering you 20% off all of their cannabis products like CBD, Delta 8 THC, Delta 9 THC, when you go to ounceofhope.com and use the code PACMAN. They have everything from flour to soft gels, THC infused edibles, gummies, Rice Krispie treats, honey, cookies, caramels, chocolate bars. Another thing that's cool about Ounce of Hope is that they sustainably raise fish on their aquaponic cannabis farm in Memphis, Tennessee. They use the fish poop to fertilize the cannabis plants, which is amazing. And again, this is 100% federally legal, compliant with the farm bill, even the THC products. So they can be shipped right to you via FedEx two day shipping anywhere in the United States. Go support Ounce of Hope. They believe in what we do at The David Pakman Show. They're a mom and pop business. They do a lot for their community. You'll get 20 percent off everything they offer when you go to ounceofhope.com and use the code Pacman. That's O-U-N-C-E of hope.com code Pacman for 20 percent off info in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors today is BetterHelp. Uh, viewers of the show, listeners know I'm a big advocate of therapy. Uh, I think it's important to make it more accessible, remove any stigma that might be associated. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp is therapy done entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. Fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. Switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. I'm a huge believer in talk therapy and BetterHelp is making it more accessible to more people. You can even find a therapist who specializes in certain areas, which maybe you can't find where you are geographically. There are lots of great benefits to doing therapy online. Get it off your chest. Visit BetterHelp. Go to BetterHelp.com slash Pacman Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Pacman Show. The link is in the podcast notes. Staying properly nourished is just so important to feeling your best every day. Our sponsor, AG1, makes it so simple. Just a single scoop of AG1 a day. You get 75 high quality vitamins and probiotics from whole food sources. You're covered for the day. Half of Americans are deficient in vitamins A and C and magnesium. Not everybody has time to perfectly plan every meal. And I don't know that any of us want to be spending a whole bunch of money on endless different vitamins and supplements. AG1 just simplifies it and it's more cost effective. I take a single scoop of AG1 in the morning before my coffee. Tastes great with water, but you can mix it, quite frankly, into anything you want. With that one scoop, I'm covered for the day, getting everything I want. It's easy and it's a simple routine that works. Go to drinkag1.com slash Pacman to get five free travel packs of AG1 plus a free one year supply of vitamin D that's drink AG the number one dot com slash Pacman 
The link is in the podcast notes. Welcome back, everybody, to the David Pakman Show. Luke Beasley here filling in for David while he's away. You can find me at Luke Beasley on YouTube. Donald Trump did an interview on Newsmax with Eric Bowling. Yet another wild, wild interview where Trump lashes out at Jack Smith. And now that he's expecting a fourth indictment out of Georgia, he's also been targeting Fannie Willis. And we'll look at both those clips in just a moment. Truly dangerous stuff as he panics further about his legal troubles. And anyone who dares to try to hold him accountable for his possible violations of the law, he will make a target uh, starting off with this. The next question, uh, Jack Smith. Yeah. Biden gets Merrick Garland to get Jack Smith to do with these investigations of you. Deranged. She's like a no evidence of Biden being involved. Deranged human being. We'll I watch this guy. Talk, yeah, what's his motivation? What's I going think on I think he's just a sick guy. Uh, he destroyed the lives of many people. He was overturned unanimously in the Supreme Court. I believe he's 0 and 5. In other words, he takes it to the end. He was involved with the IRS scandal, the big lowest learner IRS. That was him. That was his baby, mm -hmm. where the government had to end up paying money, damages, and apologies all over the place, where they went after Christians and they went after incredible people. Jack Smith, uh, he's, like a, he's like a deranged individual. And I think we're doing very well with that guy. But he is, uh, he's a sick puppy. And, you know, you look at the boxes. I come under the Presidential Records Act. I'm allowed to do everything that you see. Biden didn't. Biden's got 1,850 boxes. He's got boxes in Chinatown. So now just a whole lot of nonsense that is, again, dangerous. I think, as I've mentioned before on my show now multiple times, it is the sign of someone who really can't defend the allegations effectively, really can't explain why the evidence being brought against him is illegitimate because he only focuses on the person and tries to attack the character of the person, spews a bunch of nonsense about the person who dares to attempt to hold him accountable, not actually address the specifics, the details of the allegations because of how damning the evidence is being brought against him. Or when he does try to provide an illusion of addressing specifics. He just makes up arguments um, or addresses arguments that aren't even relevant to the conversation. And that definitely comes up with his third indictment, him saying, I'm being indicted for my freedom of speech when it's not that at all. And the indictment uh, explicitly outlined that that's not what he's being indicted for or with the uh, first federal indictment in relation to his willful retention of national defense information. He'll say, everything I was doing was in accordance with the Presidential Records Act, and now they're indicting me for that, when in reality, he's not being indicted for violating the Presidential Records Act, and he wasn't in compliance with the Presidential Records Act. So in both directions there, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Then he moves on to Fannie Willis. You a fair shake? No, of course not. Look, I don't think the people of Georgia, where I did very well, and I won it the first time, and I won it, I think, by much more the second time. I can say that about the whole election, too. I don't think they'd stand for it. Uh, this woman is not a capable woman. She's a woman that has, uh, I mean, and maybe she'll change her mind. And I don't know what she's doing. I really don't know. All I know is she could have done it two and a half years ago if she was going to do something. And this is about a perfect phone call, a call where I'm questioning the election. 11,780 votes. I'm telling them that, in my opinion, the election was rigged. And they're saying that I was, I did something incorrect. I didn't do anything wrong. I believe I won that election by many, many votes, many, many hundreds of thousands of votes. That's what I think. And I expressed that on the phone call. And I said, I don't know what the number was, like 11,000 or something. I said, what I need is. You know the number, <laughs> 11,780 votes. It's 11,000 votes. I won this thing by hundreds of thousands of votes. That's my opinion. And it's a strong opinion. And I think it's borne out by the facts. And we'll see that. It's absolutely not. And that will prove itself when Eric Bowling at the end of the interview has to note that Newsmax doesn't necessarily endorse the opinions that Trump shared there and accepts the results of the 2020 election results. We'll get to that in a bit. But Again, we haven't even seen, because Trump hasn't been indicted out of Fulton County yet, specifically what he would be charged with. So it's hard necessarily to address uh, the talking points he's saying there. But as is the case with the third indictment, second federal one, 
it would not be him questioning the results that he's being charged with. Obviously not. It is something such as a criminal conspiracy to overturn unlawfully and keep yourself in power um, despite the democratic results of a free and fair election and block the lawful certification process and disenfranchise voters and all of the steps involved in what could have been an unlawful attempt to keep himself in power despite losing, not just him questioning the results, which he is allowed to do even when it is very baseless. And uh, then you have this. They're doing this type of thing and you're answering indictments and, and arraignments. Well, it's incredible. I mean, it really is incredible. And, and I'm answering them not for that. I'm answering because I question an election. Not only question, I, I totally dispute that election. I think it's ridiculous what happened and that they allowed that to happen and that the media doesn't want anybody to talk about it. But now we can. And we did. Some the media talks constantly about your claims about the election. It just has to be fact checked. Something uh, yesterday, you know, now that we have the subpoena power, because we now have subpoena power, all of a sudden the J6 committee, the unselects, I call them, everything was deleted and destroyed. The documents, everything. Was and that's the other thing that is fascinating. We've seen from one of Trump's lawyers and Trump himself, them saying that now that we have subpoena power and now that we'll be able to be in court again, we're going to prove some of these claims, which if... The goal is going to be let's go into court and defend ourselves by uh, or defend Trump by proving the 2020 election was stolen. Have at it because that's not going to be successful at all and would be a complete and total disaster legally. Then he moves on to the subject of Ron DeSantis. And just like they said that they didn't believe it. But like they said that now they said, oh, well, we want to really run against DeSantis is a failed candidate. If I didn't endorse DeSantis, he wouldn't have ever won. He was at, you know, he was out. Then I endorsed him, and he went up, and he was able to win. He went up massively in one night after I endorsed him. But he was a failed candidate. And you know what? He's a failed candidate again. He's got no personality. He's got nothing going. And he's, he's dropped like a rock. I don't even think he's going to be too number along. I mean, somebody's going to come along like maybe Tim Scott or somebody and probably take his place. And probably this stops him in 28. You know, he could have walked into 28, maybe. You still have to campaign. You don't walk into anything. This is a tough world in politics. This is a nasty, nasty world, as we found out. Uh, probably it's never been nastier than it is right now because we have... Because of you. Uh, so... The talking point of DeSantis could have walked right into it in 2028. It's correct to say you don't know that for sure, but it will be fascinating to watch now that it's pretty clear Ron DeSantis is dropping, as he said, like a rock and is not going to be successful in this election cycle. It's going to be fascinating to watch how that affects his future in politics. Will MAGA forever be bitter with him? Will MAGA be relevant when he would try to go at it again? Or will he just kind of fade back into being a Republican governor and people are okay with him and he takes another shot at it later? That's something I'm very interested in. And because of his revealing of how dangerous he is as a candidate, as a governor, in an attempt partly to make MAGA like him more, and that hasn't been successful making them love him, but it has been successful at least in revealing to us how dangerous he really is. Hopefully that will be remembered if he takes another shot at it later on. I really do hope that's the case. And then Eric Bowling at the end of the interview has to say this. Oh, we thank you. The American people thank you. I thank you, Newsmax. Thank you. Thanks. And great job. Great success. You're doing a fantastic job. Thank, thank you, you Mr. Much. President. Thank you. All right, folks, now just a note, Newsmax has accepted the election results as legal and final. Oh. There's that Dominion lawsuit uh, fear rippling through the media where he goes, we've accepted the election results as legal and final, which is kind of the legal version of Joe Biden's the president. Whenever people will get asked who are sort of election deniers or don't want to make election deniers mad, do you accept the results of the 2020 election? They'll say, Joe Biden's the president. Yeah, yeah, but we're asking, do you accept that that's the legitimate result and there wasn't widespread voter fraud, there wasn't outcome-determinative voter fraud, do you accept that? And they'll go, Joe Biden was president, just continue saying that. Same thing there. Newsmax has accepted the election results as legal and final. Okay. I don't know if that's exactly as far as you should go, but you're trying to protect yourself 
very interesting. Make sure you're subscribed to The David Packman Show as you're watching this channel and go hop over and check out my show at Luke Beasley on YouTube. Well, you've probably heard that Kevin McCarthy is now on board with the idea of an impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden based on the rather baseless accusations against President Biden from Republicans as James Comer has tried to prove unsuccessfully of him being bribed. And I know David has walked through extensively the kind of uh, one embarrassment after another as Republicans try to prove this again unsuccessfully. But despite the lack of success of the House Oversight Committee investigation into these claims, Kevin McCarthy is still charging forward with an impeachment inquiry. Interestingly, though, things aren't going well already for Kevin McCarthy, and there are some more moderate Republicans who are saying, I don't know about this. Do we have enough evidence to really move forward with this? First, here's Kevin McCarthy floating this idea. We don't do it for political purposes. We follow the Constitution. That's exactly what was played out during the Nixon administration in Congress. They voted to have an impeachment inquiry. And I, I raised it on this show not long ago that because the actions of the Biden administration withholding information, that that would rise to the level where we'd need impeachment inquiry to give the strength of the Congress, to get the information that we need to give to the American public. So. There's the Speaker of the House, head of the Republican Party, saying that, which you would think would indicate there's some support, enough support within his party to really do this. But as NBC News reports, vulnerable Republicans aren't sold on impeaching Biden. They have mixed feelings about whether to launch a formal inquiry, but they broadly agree the GOP doesn't have enough evidence to impeach him. Their votes will be decisive. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy faces unease within his ranks about impeaching President Joe Biden, with some politically vulnerable and centrist Republicans indicating they don't believe there's enough evidence to take such a drastic step. Those Republicans are also conflicted about whether to launch a formal inquiry, typically the first step before impeachment proceedings, and their anxieties highlight the practical and political dilemmas that McCarthy and GOP leaders will have to navigate. It talks about how the far-right hardliners definitely want this and are pushing McCarthy to do it but then you have quotes from for example mike lawler saying impeachment should not be political by any stretch we've seen what happens when congress acts in a political matter it does not serve the interest of the american people in any way and then the question to me right now is do the investigations are they producing enough facts and evidence that warrant taking it to the next step i don't think it's there at, uh, at the moment but these committees are doing their job i don't disagree with that and then you have uh, other quotes, for example, here from Don Bacon saying stuff about the president. He thinks that Biden was more involved with his son's business dealings than he admitted, but it's, quote, too early for a formal impeachment inquiry. We should have more confidence that actual high crimes and misdemeanors occur before starting a formal impeachment inquiry. And it continues. So already trouble in paradise for Kevin McCarthy. And then interestingly, this comes within the context of James Comer, the head of the House Oversight Committee, who's been leading this investigation into President Joe Biden, releasing yet another memo uh, saying and outlining what he feels is the evidence against Biden. But then as the Washington Post reports and Philip Bump says in this op-ed, so where's the bribe, James Comer? It has now been more than three months since House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer and Senator Charles E. Grassley issued a release in which they accused President Biden of have, uh, having been allegedly engaged in a bribery scheme with a foreign national. And it outlines the accusation that has been covered extensively on this show and mine. But the issue is, as Comer released a new assessment of payments made to Hunter Biden, Archer, and others while Biden and Archer were in business together, None of them were shown to have gone to Joe Biden, as has consistently been the case. And time and time again, as this op-ed nicely walks through, the promises they've made about what they're going to prove just hasn't actually occurred. And so then it becomes more and more obvious that you're not following the evidence. You're not following the facts. You're just trying to find some... Uh, set of kind of manipulated stories you can tell to muddy the waters and make it to where a lot of people go, yeah, Trump's corruption and Trump's crimes, but there's some stuff I've heard about going on on that side. I don't know, Biden might be caught up in something. But see, on one end, the accusations against Trump have solid evidence behind them. On the other, 
it's a whole lot of innuendo, a whole lot of baseless accusations. And so it's becoming more and more clear as if it wasn't from the beginning, that these investigations are politically charged, are politically motivated, as much as they accuse the Trump-related investigations of being just that. Quick break, we'll be right back. There's something really disturbing we've been seeing in the news lately. The FBI is now gathering huge amounts of data on everything people do on phones and computers. And here is how. Data brokers collect information about what you look at online, where you go, your political views. The FBI then buys that data to keep track of you. It is a legal gray area that the government will happily take advantage of. They don't need a court order. They just do it. But it's not just the government because criminals can end up accessing that data and use it to target you for phishing or identity theft. Big tech companies, political campaigns can buy the data to try to influence you. But here is the solution. Our sponsor Incogni automatically sends data removal requests to the major data brokers who are required by law to remove your information upon request. If any of your information stays online, Incogni will even follow up with them about removing it. And Incogni keeps you updated with details at every step so you know when everything's been removed. It is a fantastic service that I use. And my audience gets 60% off. Go to incogni.com slash Pacman. Use the code Pacman. That's I N C O G N I dot com slash Pacman. And use the code Pacman for 60% off. The info is in the podcast notes. Plastic, it's everywhere we look, and not enough is being done about it. 100 billion plastic bags are used and thrown away every year. Here's something super simple you can do to reduce plastic and help the planet a little bit. Our sponsor, Hold On Bags, is the company making plastic free trash bags and zip seal kitchen bags. They're just as strong and high quality as the plastic bags you're used to. Hold On Bags are 100% plant based and home compostable, meaning they break down in just weeks, not decades. Their zip seal kitchen bags come in sandwich or gallon size to fit all of your needs, whether it's carrots or crayons at home. I put all of my food waste in a hold on trash bag, throw it in the compost pile. And when I throw a hold on trash bag in my dumpster, I love knowing it's not filling our landfills and oceans with plastic. Single use plastics harm the planet at every stage, production, disposal, decomposition. Join the growing movement away from single use plastic. These products are really great. It's so easy to make the switch. Go to holdonbags.com slash Pacman and you'll get 20% off with code Pacman at checkout. That's H O L D O N B A G S dot com slash Pacman. Code Pacman saves you 20%. The info is in the podcast notes. The talking points in defense of Donald Trump amid his third indictment as he awaits a possible fourth are getting more and more ridiculous, more and more absurd, in this case, laughable. Uh, Laura Ingram on Fox News, while talking with Sean Duffy, said that Trump, again, amid all of his legal troubles, represents a, quote, regular citizen who seems like they can't get a break. As Mediate reports on the clip they're about to watch, saying Fox News host Laura Ingram declared that Donald Trump, a billionaire and former president who is under indictment in three jurisdictions, represents a, quote, regular citizen. Really? Let's see what they have to say. The DOJ, the FBI coming after a former president that they do not like. And so they haven't moved away from Donald Trump. What it's actually done, Laura, is made made some of those voters who really didn't like the tone and tenor of President Trump. They liked the policies, but they wanted to find someone else other than the president. They've angered them. And now to stick it to. You've angered them. Fox News has angered them. Lies about Trump being this big victim. That's what's angering people. Uh, if networks like Fox News were more honest, then more people would understand. This is an example not of Trump being a big victim who's being targeted, but instead of someone who possibly committed crimes being held accountable for that. To the Department of Justice, to stick it to the deep state, they've come back on board for Trump to go, you know what, we're going to show these jerks that Donald Trump can win and he's going to root out the corruption. And so they're making him stronger, not weaker by these indictments because there's a lot of nothing there. 
Well, I think he kind of represents to people at this point, after all these years of their coming after him, he kind of represents this, the regular citizen who seems like they can't get a break from the federal government. The government's always on your back. It's always taking your money. It's always regulating you. Uh, it's always hassling you. And that's kind of what they're doing to Trump, obviously, in a much worse way. But do you see that, Sean? We'll let uh, Sean Duffy respond after responding to that. So, yeah, nothing says regular citizen like being a billionaire who got handed 400 plus million dollars from their father or being the guy who, as president, attempted to overthrow a democratic, free and fair election and keep themselves in the White House despite losing that election and pressuring election officials and trying to disenfranchise voters and possibly committing the crime while doing so. Nothing says a regular citizen like someone who kept classified documents after being president and then after multiple demands from federal authorities held on to them and possibly conspired with staffers to keep them out of the hands of federal authorities and then allegedly destroyed evidence to cover that up. Regular citizen. Hmm. Well, so it's a, it's a line that he uses on the on the campaign trail often. He's like, they're they're not coming for me. They're actually coming for you, and they're coming for me first. And so I think a lot of, of Americans see that they're going after Donald Trump, but they see the same thing happening in their communities and in their country. Whether you're going after parents who are protesting at a school board, you're a Latin Mass Catholic, you're a pro-life activist, they're seeing the Department of Justice classify them as domestic terrorists, and they're coming after them. And again, whether you're coming after my car or my gas. Okay, and then that's deriving itself from a really dishonest talking point. He brought up the school board meeting point, saying parents were just voicing their concerns and then were labeled domestic terrorists by the Department of Justice. That didn't happen. What happened was during the time where a lot of parents were voicing their concerns, which you can do, going to school board meetings, being mad, absolutely. Also, alongside that, some people were getting so angry they were threatening public officials, threatening school board members, and that is what was labeled as a potential domestic terrorist threat. Yes, if you make violent threats that could be followed through on, you might be labeled as that by the Department of Justice, which is what we should want them to do. Make sure public officials are safe and people aren't having their lives threatened. Uh, but continuing. As stove, um, my hot water heater, I think Americans see the country going in a direction that they don't approve of. By the way, also, you're going after my kids. You want to, I mean, you want to have a real fight with me? Come after my kids and their education. Right. Try to sexualize my child. Try to get kids to- Huh? Who's doing that? Transition without me knowing, and you're really going to make what? people angry. And so again, I think it all feeds into why they love Donald Trump. And I think they see that he's going to actually fight that machine. And by the way, he's the only one, Laura, who stood up to the machine. I, I'm going to tell you what, I would have been cowering in the corner under Russia collusion. I would be cowering in the corner with all these charges. And he's looking at over 100 years in prison. And the man continues to stand strong. He appears to be upbeat. and Then the idea that because Trump is being accused of all of these different crimes and thus having to interact with the Department of Justice and with the federal government in that particular way, he's best suited to fight back against the deep state or something makes absolutely no sense because the mission will be, and he's made this very clear, retribution. It's going to be a victimhood presidency of him trying to get back at all the people he feels victimized by, even though, again, it's him being held accountable. That's it. That's what we're seeing. And if there were less lies being paraded on networks like Fox News, more people would understand that and we would have a less hot temperature right now in the country when it comes to this subject. And interestingly, I wish people recognize this, but Trump sees this whole presidential run as his only shot of getting out of accountability. And so all the people supporting him are really just assisting in and a part of Trump's run away from accountability and his attempt to block that from and prevent that from happening. And so all those donations, $40 million spent this year from his campaign on his legal fees, it's all in service of that instead of in service of what we should want candidates to be focused on, which is putting forward a policy agenda that is aimed at benefiting the lives of the people they want to be their constituents. But that's not what Trump's run is about. It's about him. And so all the conversations as we see when we go through these interviews and these speeches are about him and him being this big victim instead of about how he will, uh, if he became president, benefit the lives of Americans, which we know won't happen. And I wish more people 
saw that. Make sure you are subscribed to me on YouTube at Luke Beasley. We talk a lot about, I know David does and I do on our respective shows, the lies that are told about Biden weaponizing the DOJ and Trump being wrongfully targeted and prosecuted and it's all terrible and Trump's a big victim. And it's important to call those out because of the dishonesty on his face and because we want to be accurate and we want to be honest and we want to correct people when they're not being those things. And it's aggravating and rhetorically it's enraging, but it also has real world consequences, these lies. And it's important to note that as well as media reports, I have an example of this for you, quote, time is right for a presidential assassination Utah man who threatened to kill Biden and Trump prosecutors shot dead in FBI raid. So he had been threatening those trying to prosecute Trump and Biden. FBI agents shot and killed a Utah man during a raid on Wednesday morning after he allegedly threatened President Joe Biden and federal prosecutors with assassination. The raid happened hours before Biden was expected to land in the state, according to the FBI special agents, attempted to serve Craig Robertson, uh, Robertson a warrant in Provo when the shooting happened at 6.15 a.m. The Associated Press noted that the complaint alleged that Robertson mentioned presidential assassination and made threats against Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, Attorney General Merrick Garland, and New York Attorney General Letitia James. And you know the common thread through those people is all being... Uh, individuals that have become targets of Donald Trump's dishonest rhetoric, and he's called them enemies for trying to, or something to this effect, wrongfully prosecute him. That is how they're identified in the minds of his supporters. And so then you have, based on this, Robertson putting on Facebook, the time is right for a presidential assassination or two, first Joe, then Kamala. He was facing three criminal counts, interstate threats, threats against the president, and influence impeding and retaliating against federal law enforcement officers by threat. And I can't even read this particular quote. It's so uh, vile. But to jump around to a few of these, he said, I hear Biden is coming to Utah, digging out my old ghillie suit and cleaning the dust off the M24 sniper rifle. Uh, we're done here. Oh, that's so... Then, before reading more of these quotes, he was confronted by FBI agents before they had a warrant. They came to his home, and he said, after a little bit of an exchange, we're done here, don't return without a warrant. So then they came back with an arrest warrant, and then it ended in him being shot based on a confrontation, presumably, that took place. Uh, then it was written on Facebook by him, perhaps Utah will become famous this week as the place a sniper took out Biden, the Marxist. And again, there's more, but it is so vile. I don't think I would read it on this show. So violent threats being made toward the exact people that lies are constantly being told about when it comes to the prosecution of Trump. Trump is being held accountable for his possible violations of the law. And a lot of people are believing that is some huge wrong, that Trump is being victimized in some terrible way. And believing that so far to then make threats like this and then based on fbi agents serving an arrest warrant a life is lost craig robertson shot and killed now i don't have a whole lot of specifics we don't right now about how this went down and is it conceivable that the FBI agents did something wrong on their part and escalated it too much absolutely that's always possible right now there's no indication of that so I'm presuming that the death was not wrongful in the way that the arrest warrant was being served, um, but still a tragedy based on the fact that he didn't have to buy into the lies that justified in his mind these threats. And of course, the FBI is going to have an interest in checking in on people and holding people to account when they make threats like that that are so severe and so explicit as he was outlining on social media to make sure the president is safe. And again, it's a tragedy that it led to what it led to, but it didn't have to. And so uh, on one end, when you think about the way that these lies manifest into real world damage, you can have public officials, the people being lied about threatened as was happening and their lives hurt and their families' lives hurt. And then you can also have those buying into the lies as we're seeing here, then having their lives lost or their lives hurt. Ashley Babbitt, another example of this. Because of the lies, Ashley Babbitt did the things she did and it led to 
what it did. And so it's all horrible. And it's yet another example of how these lies are bad for being lies and they're bad for what they can lead to. And this is yet another example of that. One more break. We'll be back after this. 30 million trees are destroyed every year for toilet paper in the US alone. So toilet paper is a big contributor to deforestation and climate change. Our sponsor, Real Paper, makes toilet paper from bamboo. Bamboo plants keep growing, which means no deforestation. Bamboo also absorbs five times as much carbon from the atmosphere as pine trees. And bamboo toilet paper is stronger than regular toilet paper and even softer. So bamboo toilet paper is all around a win for you and for the environment. It's time to move on from that toilet paper from trees that you're using at home. When you use real paper, it doesn't feel like you're sacrificing anything. It's soft and fluffy and they'll ship it to your door in plastic free packaging on a schedule. Super easy. With every box of real paper you buy, they are funding reforestation efforts across the country through their partnership with One Tree Planted. So unlike the toilet paper that cuts down trees, Real is helping to actively plant them. Go to realpaper.com/pacman and use code pacman for 30% off your first order and free shipping. That's r e e l paper.com/pacman. And then use code Pacman. The info is in the podcast notes. 48 million Americans have some hearing loss. So if you or a loved one is struggling with hearing loss, you are certainly not alone. Only one in five people who would benefit from a hearing aid actually get a hearing aid. Our sponsor, MD Hearing, specializes in FDA registered rechargeable hearing aids at a fraction of the cost. Marked up hearing aids at an in-person hearing clinic can cost up to $10,000. At MD Hearing, you'll pay just $300. They perform incredibly well. I have a family friend who's tried a variety of hearing aids. She recently switched to MD Hearing, couldn't be happier, loves them. You take their free online hearing test, their world-class team of licensed audiologists will advise you how to set up your device. Your audiologist is there to provide ongoing support by video call or text. And MD Hearing's new model, the Neo, is their smallest hearing aid ever. No one will even know it's there. Simply go to mdhearing.com, use the code Pacman to get any pair of hearing aids for just $150 each. They will throw in a free charging case. That's M as in Michael, D as in Daniel, Hearing.com, then use code Pacman to get hearing aids for just $150 each, and you'll get a free charging case. The info is in the podcast notes. Welcome back, everybody, to the show. Luke Beasley here, filling in for David while he is away. You can find me at Luke Beasley on YouTube. I have a moment here for you from Fox News that is so ridiculous. My goodness. So prepare yourself. Uh, responding to what this Fox News contributor is responding to is President Biden doing an interview on the Weather Channel. And it makes sense that he would do this type of interview on the Weather Channel. It has to do with his visit to the Grand Canyon and a decision he's made on that front. But in response to this interview, this Fox News contributor, Charlie Hurt, floats such a bonkers theory about why Biden went on the Weather Channel. So, that's what we'll get to. But first, the context on this from ABC News. Biden creates new national monument near Grand Canyon, citing tribal heritage and climate concerns. Declaring it good not only for Arizona, but for the planet, President Joe Biden on Tuesday signed a national monument designation for the greater Grand Canyon, turning the decades-long visions of Native American tribes and environmentalists into reality. Coming as Biden is on a three-state western trip, the move will help preserve about 1,562 square miles just to the north and south of Grand Canyon National Park. It encompasses canyons, plateaus, and tributaries that feed a range of plants and wildlife, including bison, elk, desert, uh, desert bighorn sheep, and rare species of cactus, and is Biden's fifth monument designation. So there we go, and it makes sense that kind of within that context, he might go on the Weather Channel and discuss this, making environmentalists happy with this action and Native American tribes. Great, great, great. 
But that's not how Charlie Hurt on Fox News perceived this. Instead, he said this. But the whole thing, I think, was a laugh and a, and a wink and, a, and, and a, trying to make a mockery of the fact that if you remember, Dan Goldman said that the only thing that uh, Joe Biden talked about with Hunter Biden and all of his business partners was the weather. And so I think that this is a secret signal to all of the business partners that we're going to stick with the story about the weather. Now, Jesse Waters is laughing, which makes it sound more reasonable as if they're both in on this joke. But Charlie Hurt seems sort of serious. And if you get asked anything about it, if you get hauled before a committee in Congress to answer, just say we talked about the weather. <laughs> the bat signal's gone out. And this is why exactly. he can't answer questions. Because our very own stupid son of a bitch, Peter Ducey, jumped a fence. And okay. And then they move on to something related. So if you didn't catch it there, he's saying that because of some details I'll get to from a recent uh, testimony as a part of the House Oversight Committee with Devin Archer, the former business associate of Hunter Biden, this was the bat signal, an indication to all those in on the Biden bribery scheme conspiracy to say, Biden only ever talked with his son about the weather. That's the only subject that came up. And uh, yikes. It is the sign of someone who has centered their whole world around the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden bribery scheme that they haven't been able to provide evidence to prove. And then everything becomes a part of that. And everything points back to that. And we've seen every time a Trump indictment takes place, they'll say this was to distract from the Hunter Biden stuff. And at one point, the uh, Titan submersible was apparently supposed to distract from the Hunter Biden stuff. Everything connects to the Hunter Biden story that, again, isn't at this point in time really the story they tell us that it is because they fail time and time again, House Republicans, that is, to prove their claims. And what he's referencing there, the Devin Archer testimony, again, Hunter Biden, his former business associate uh, is named Devin Archer, and uh, he went in front of the House Oversight Committee and testified to the reality that while he absolutely Biden called with his son very often, especially after Bo Biden passed away, and this would be a daily occurrence. And because it was a daily occurrence, sometimes, I think it was 20 times over a decade or something like that, if business associates were around during this, this daily call, Hunter Biden, probably even to impress them, would put Joe Biden on speakerphone and he would say hello. But explicitly, Devin Archer said, never did business dealings come up. It would be small talk. It would be the weather. And so there, Charlie Hurt saying, ah, see, this is the way they're going to cover for Biden now. He's doing an interview on the Weather Channel so that everyone knows, say, we only talked about the weather. Even though all of the actual solid evidence we have proves that is what this is. When you uh, talk about the connection between Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, it was unrelated to business dealings because of the position that Biden had. But what I find really uh aggravating about these types of stories is that there are more real meaningful conversations that could be had on networks like Fox News on the subject that they're on, but they could go in a different direction and have a more meaningful conversation. So with this, his interview on the Weather Channel, there actually was an interesting moment that we could have a policy discussion about uh, when it comes to Biden's actions and response to climate change, which is this. You with the Weather Channel, I had a chance to speak with President Biden about why he hasn't declared a climate crisis a national emergency. Mr. President, you call climate change a code red for humanity. The World Health Organization said it will cause an additional quarter of a million deaths a year starting in 2030. Are you prepared to declare a national emergency with respect to climate change? I've already done that. National, we've conserved more land. We've moved in. The, we've rejoined the Paris Climate Accord. We've passed a $368 billion climate control facility. We're, we're, we're moving. It's the, it is the existential threat to humanity. So you've already declared that national emergency. Well, in the practice, you got a bug on you. Oh, thanks. Appreciate it. Uh, so you've already declared that national emergency. Practically speaking, yes. Yeah. Now, declaring a national emergency on climate change 
would unlock temporary executive powers to ramp up renewable productions and also pull back on activities such as oil drilling and also fossil fuel investment. It was also free up federal funds for disaster relief. Despite requests from some Democratic leaders, the president has not yet declared. So there, instead of, hey, maybe he went on the Weather Channel to tell other criminals in his criminal conspiracy or whatever to use weather as the excuse or the justification for these phone calls or the topic of the phone calls i should say we could be having a debate should biden have declared a national state of emergency in the united states because of climate change and then he would be able to access more resources as president to respond to it or is it not time to do that is it or is it not that's an interesting conversation we could have and there could be a good faith discussion about we could also include all right let's look through what biden has done to respond to climate change good and then where he's failed the inflation reduction act being a really strong step in the correct direction and cutting carbon emissions by a very significant amount and in investing in green energy more than we've seen in the history of the United States, but then also approving the Willow Project, that being a step in the wrong direction. And these are the types of conversations that could be had if we weren't spending so much time debunking claims and theories like what we just watched there. The story of Clarence Thomas becomes more and more clear as the days go on and more reporting is done. And because the the awe, the shock and awe of the initial ProPublica report has kind of faded. It's getting less coverage as more and more information comes out about Clarence Thomas and his possible corruption and the massive gifts and trips that he's accepted as a Supreme Court justice. Initially thought to be by one billionaire, Harlan Crow, who's also a GOP mega donor, but now we know it to be four billionaires. And there's a really good scene in report kind of recapping what we know to this point in time and ProPublica has just been consistently putting out a lot of new information about all of the different things that Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas has accepted in the form of gifts and trips that could be creating a conflict of interest in his role as a Supreme Court Justice and maybe violating the law and not disclosing some of this. The most complete accounting yet of the high life of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas shows much, much more than previously known. More private jets, more fancy vacations, more sporting events, all gifts from mega rich businessmen and documented through public and private records, plus interviews by ProPublica. Justice Thomas has been living a life of extreme luxury for 30 years, underwritten by at least four different ultra wealthy benefactors. Earlier reports have revealed lavish gifts to Thomas, including a house for his mother and this nine-day vacation in Indonesia from conservative billionaire Harlan Crow. I've come from regular stock. Who also underwrote a film about Thomas's humble taste. I prefer the RV parks. Now Love that so much. It's so blatant. As he's being wined and dined to the most significant degree imaginable, and having all of these gifts showered on him in the most lavish trips you could possibly imagine. He does this documentary, paid for by Harlan Crow, where he says, I like a more modest vacation. Now the list of benefactors includes three more names, according to ProPublica, David Sokol, Wayne Huizinga, and Tony Novelli. The report says the four moguls collectively treated Thomas to 38 destination vacations, including a previously unreported voyage on a yacht around the Bahamas, 26 private jet flights, plus an additional eight by helicopter. And as they recap these, I can go through and do it. 38 destination vacations, 26 private jet flights, eight by helicopter, a dozen VIP passes to professional and college sporting events, two stays at luxury resorts in Florida and Jamaica. I like a modest vacation. I like the RV park better, is what he said in that documentary. Yeah, okay. So as uh, ProPublica reports here, while some of the hospitality, such as stays in personal homes, may not have required disclosure, Thomas appears to have violated the law by failing to disclose flights, yacht cruises, and expensive sports tickets, according to ethics experts and separate from the law, which also matters, and there should be accountability where necessary, it also just violates any other judge whatsoever 
um, the ethics code they would abide by. And of course, he should be disclosing and avoiding those types of situations that can cause a conflict of interest. Because if you think about this just being completely allowed, then this will be the way that special interest groups and wealthy and powerful individuals try to leverage their power with a Supreme Court justice to have them rule more in the favor of that entity or individual's special interest. And it's so important we don't allow that to happen. There are massive structures in place right now and movements and organizations that spend every, every single day trying to affect the Supreme Court through a long-term uh, goal, a long-term vision that takes years and years, elections impacting who's the president, who's in the Senate to try to get the proper people on the Supreme Court. If it could be as easy as I'm going to shower this person with money so they rule in my interest, which could be what any person falls into with enough money, and enough gifts, then we hope that's not the case, but that at least could be the appearance. Then all of a sudden we don't have anywhere close to a legitimate Supreme Court and that is a massive problem. So in the interest of the legitimacy of the Supreme Court, and uh, a complete absence of conflicts of interest like this, he needs to be held accountable and change needs to be made on this front. I know uh, some Senate Democrats are trying to do that and pushing through legislation that won't get through because of Republicans. But uh, if eventually Democrats have majorities in the House and Senate and still have the White House possibly mandating a code of ethics onto the Supreme Court would absolutely be a good start. Thank you all so much for watching and listening to today's show. It was great to be with you and I'll be back with you tomorrow and of course on today's bonus show.